This is a message for those that work in manufacturing across the UK and Ireland. Do your engineering maintenance stores keep you awake at night? Are your engineers spending excessive time sourcing and finding the spare parts they need? Eric's on-site teams take responsibility for your indirect supply chain, including both your MRO procurement and inventory control. And, as the name suggests, we do this while being based on your site. For more information, visit www.erics.co.uk forward slash em. This episode of Engineering Matters is supported by The Optimistic Outlook. The Optimistic Outlook is a great listen for fans of Engineering Matters. It is a podcast for anyone intrigued by innovation across sectors, whether you're in healthcare, infrastructure, energy or beyond. The show is hosted by Barbara Hampton, CEO of Siemens USA, and offers invaluable insights relevant and impactful for all industries. I think what you're really going to like is that Barbara Hampton is not just a CEO, she's a thought leader in the corporate world. In the podcast, you often learn from her journey to the top of Siemens USA, getting invaluable lessons on leadership, decision-making, and navigating the complexities of the modern workplace. Barbara brings a wealth of knowledge, not just about manufacturing, but about its ripple effects across all sectors. Her perspective illuminates how manufacturing innovations are setting the pace for changes in healthcare, infrastructure development, energy sustainability, and more. Regardless of your industry, the optimistic outlook is a source of motivation and forward-thinking ideas. Barbara's expertise in connecting dots between manufacturing and other sectors reveals actionable strategies for innovation and leadership in any field. We invite you to explore the optimistic outlook and join a broad audience that values transformative ideas, including us. Search for the optimistic outlook wherever you get your podcasts. London is well known for the bridges that cross the River Thames and connect the north and south of the city. There are 33 or 35 bridges in London, depending on who you ask and on where you draw the boundaries of London. Some are famous around the world, like Tower Bridge, with two 65-metre-tall towers either end. There's also London Bridge, often confused with Tower Bridge, but an iconic, albeit less visually striking, bridge. Among the remaining 30 or so London bridges is Waterloo Bridge, connecting the London South Bank, home to the National Theatre, to Covent Garden on the north side. For years, the bridge went by another name, the Ladies' Bridge. The original structure was demolished in the 1930s after over 100 years of operation, with plans for a modern 20th century replacement. However, construction of the new bridge coincided with the outbreak of World War II, To fill in the worker shortage, the contractor advertised for green labour, or those without any experience in construction. Five years after construction began, a team made up of 65% women had completed the new Waterloo Bridge. At the opening, then Deputy Prime Minister Herbert Morrison said, the men who built Waterloo Bridge are fortunate men. They know that although their names may be forgotten, their work will be a pride and use to London for many generations to come. 
While being wrong about the gender of those who constructed Waterloo Bridge, Morrison was right about them being forgotten. Few records remain about those women who built Waterloo Bridge, and a campaign is ongoing to have their achievements recognised with a plaque on the bridge. Despite it being over 80 years since a majority female team built one of London's most important river crossings, women still remain massively underrepresented in the construction industry. In construction, women are only 14% of the workforce, and when you focus in further to those working out on construction sites, that number is just 1%. Welcome to Engineering Matters. This week, we're talking with Katie Kelleher, who spent years working as a crane operator, about what it's like to be a woman working on a construction site and how she is going about encouraging more women to get into the industry. Katie got her start in construction through an untraditional route. She was working as a recruiter at the time. So I was recruiting um, trades and labour, so blue-collar painters, decorators, plasterers, plumbers, you name it. And I noticed people were getting paid a lot more money than I was getting. I wasn't, I'm not going to say I was particularly good at recruitment or, or any sales job. I'm just good at speaking. But people were getting a lot more money than I was getting, and I, I didn't have a lot of women on my books. And I don't know why I thought, I wonder if I could work in construction. I did notice there wasn't a lot of women and I didn't really know what I'd do. But I thought the opportunist in me thought maybe I could get an opportunity. Maybe I could get a fresh start to do something different. So she started looking up apprenticeship schemes that she could apply for. So because I worked in recruitment in construction and I, I could look at construction websites all day and nobody would question me so I was looking at these kind of job opportunities and seeing what was out there and I sent my CV out to a few different companies and uh, I didn't apply for the roller crane operator I didn't think oh this sounds a bit of me but I got a phone call one night when I was driving home um, from Langerock and they said they've got a crane operating apprenticeship starting lifting technician apprenticeship would I be interested? She said she'd have to think about it after all, this was quite a lateral move in her career. Katie asked some of her friends and family what they thought about this potential career change. So I, when I got that phone call when I was driving home and he said, how do you, how do you feel about being a crane operator? And I said, I'll get back to you, email it through to me. And I got in that evening uh, and I said to my dad, I said, oh, Langer Rourke rang me up, dad. And he said, oh, they want a few guys thinking recruitment. Maybe they want some men to do something or whatever. And I said, no, no. He asked me if I wanted to be a crane operator. And my dad kind of stopped what he was doing. And he turned around. And I'm like, my lads swear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he turned around from doing what he was doing. Totally dead stopped. He just went, did you tell him to f*** off? I said, no, no, I didn't tell him that. <laughs> and my... Um, my ex-partner at the time, he was like, oh, you know, it's dirty. He was in piling. You know, it's dirty work. You won't like it. Sites are full of mud. Uh, you can't have your nice nails. You can't have your nice hair. It's full of scaffolders. You haven't met scaffolders. Like, I was like, oh, Lord. And then my dad's like, are you, you sure you want to do this? Like, but the more people kept asking me and telling me how wrong it would be for me, the more I was like, no, actually, I do really want to do it. I'm going to prove everyone wrong and I'm going to go and do it. Katie, unperturbed by the advice, went to the interview. 
I kind of lied to work at the time and said I had this meeting. I trotted off and I had like a little dress on, a pair of shoes, as you do when you're working in recruitment. And I turned up and there was all men. It was all men at this interview, all kind of young guys, a bit older guys. And then I went to the interview panel and they were all men. And I just thought, I don't fit in here. Immediately thought I don't fit in here. Immediately resigned myself that I probably won't get the job because I don't look like everyone else who was there. A couple days later and Katie got a phone call and was offered the role. She accepted and began her training as a crane operator at an airfield that is now used for construction industry training. So we did tower cranes and crawler cranes. I went back, I did mobile cranes, I did slinger signalling, traffic marshalling, IPAF. So they pay for all these tickets. So it was quite, it was quite an investment from a company, and it was, it just felt, I felt really privileged. If I can get that across, I didn't know about apprenticeships and all these things you could do, but I felt really privileged that someone was investing in me in that way. And um, I just really wanted to do a good job at it. I really, really wanted to be really good at what I was doing. And the whole college experience was fantastic. The first day on site was a little bit different. I turned up and I was like, oh, I'm here for the induction. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, upstairs, whatever. Like, Just get out of my way. <laughs> and I, I walked upstairs and there was this room full of people, room full of guys. There wasn't a woman in the room. And there was a guy at the front talking and everyone in the room was listening. And they all just stopped and looked at me. And then um, I thought, I better just go and make myself comfortable. So I kind of walked through everyone and their eyes just followed me to the back of the room. And then eventually I stood up against the wall and the, the meeting kind of continued. And I sat there and I thought, this is all really irrelevant. I don't think I'm going to be in here. And I kind of slid down the back wall, <laughs> questioning my life choices into an almost kind of fetal position, I would call it. I, I don't think I've ever felt so uncomfortable in my whole life. And I, I thought, why am I doing this to myself? Why did I leave recruitment? Can I do this? And I always, always said, if I was a lot younger or if that was my first job, that would have been my first and last day and I'd have never have gone back. The point was I had something to prove. Katie recalls how when she first began working on construction sites, she remembers the feeling of eyes always being on her. From being first on site and people are like, okay, a woman on a crane. A lot of people on site haven't seen a woman in a crane. It sounds strange, doesn't it? Like there's women everywhere, but a lot of people on site haven't seen a woman in a crane. And it's kind of like, so we'd have lorry drivers turning up. We'd have other people turning up. They'd be like, what's that woman like in the crane? I could hear them asking them, the slingers and things like that. And um, you're always aware that you're a little bit different. And I put a lot of pressure on myself because I knew, I don't know whether I knew, but it kind of felt like people wanted me to mess up. Like, you know, woman drivers, like this kind of narrative that runs through. So I put a lot of strain on myself to be really, really good at operating. Like a lot of pressure, like headaches and everything. Like, oh my God, I've got to do this. I can't mess this up. I've got to float this load out perfectly. People are looking at me. They're just waiting. And the way people reacted to me in those early days was very odd as well. Because I had like this walkway in front of the crane and people just walk past and they'd be like smiling and waving at me. Like people who I work with. So I felt a bit like the Pope in the Pope-mobile just, and I felt like I had to like smile and wave at people all day long, which was, <laughs> it's just really strange. 
Katie's first job in a crane was working at Tottenham Court Road Station for the new Elizabeth Line. The site is a very tight space with tall buildings on all sides. Now, when you go from a field in the middle of Norfolk to working in the middle of central London, and especially Tottenham Court Road sites, most of our work was, was underground, it's like five floors down. And for months, I was just convinced I was going to stick it in Tesco's. <laughs> but that was a, a real possibility that I could stick the jib of the crane in Tesco's. And that would be the worst thing that would ever happen. But Katie never stuck the crane through the next door Tesco's. She worked on the Tottenham Court Road site for a few years before moving on to an even more difficult project, the Thames Tideway project. I was working in the middle of the River Thames. It was horrendous. Yeah, crane was on the water on a barge. So um, it wasn't a jack-up barge, a floating barge. Oh my, I sat there and I thought, who did I upset to get this job? Like I'm sat in the middle of the River Thames with a load of welders. Like, who did I... And I had to get a boat out there every day. You can't just, like, walk out there. You have to get a, a, a safety boat out there. And it's... Operating on water is a real challenge. And it would be worse because you get the river boats that go up and down. And they're not meant to speed, but they do speed. So when they speed, it throws everything off. So the crane's wobbling around. You might have a load on. You might have someone on the end of it. And you quickly figure out there's nothing you can do to counteract what's happening you kind of just have to wait it out because i remember one time we had because we had two we had a jack-up barge and then the floating barge and the jack-up barge had the people on the man rider and i had like a big steel beam on so i was holding the steel beam and they were kind of fixing it to the cofferdam wall a boat went past Oh my God, it went mental. The steel beam was flying around, there's people down there, you know, and you're just like, this is not a good situation. And there's nothing you can do. And they're looking at you like, like you're throwing the crane around like a lunatic. After years working in a crane, Katie came to a point many crane operators reach. She was burnt out. It can be really hard. I mean, we both know I'm not operating now. And, you know, people say, do I miss it? And I do miss operating. So I was a really good operator. It was the one thing in my life that I actually was really good at. <laughs> so I stand by that. It was the one thing I was really good at. But hours-wise, it can be really hard. So when I was at Tottenham Court Road, I was supposed to finish at 6 o'clock. So 7 till 6. Still quite a stint. And um, you wouldn't finish at 6. Be very rarely you finish at 6. There'd always be something else to do. There'd be a lorry outside. There'd be concrete to do. So you might finish 7. You might finish 8 sometimes nine o'clock, you come home, you eat, you sleep, you repeat. There's not much time for anything else. And then the weekends come and you're kind of expected to work weekends as well. Katie got her appointed person's ticket. She moved to a trainee AP role, which got her out of the crane. It wasn't a role she enjoyed as much as being in a crane. So she's now moved to being the technical and development officer for the CPA, the Construction Plant Hire Association and she spends a lot of her time mentoring and encouraging young women to get into construction. So I quickly realised there's a lack of role models in construction. Uh, there's a lack of female role models within trades. I mean, the number of women in trades make up like 1%, and it has done for the last 20 odd years. There's, there's just not a lot of people doing it. But Katie knew better than anyone that being a crane operator is hard, and being a woman on a construction site can be very difficult. 
Katie herself said if it was her first job, she would have probably have quit her first day on site. I guess there, there are points when you go, am I doing the right thing? Is it the right thing to do? My company enjoyed it. It, it was very good for them. I get that. But why, why do you want to do it? Why, why is it important to do it? And you kind of realise it's a lot bigger than you. Even when I went to schools, I don't think it's about telling all the young people or go and be crane operators. It's hard. It's hard to be a crane operator, but it's about saying, look, there's more than what school's telling you. There's a lot of different things out there you can do. You can earn a lot of money. And it, the early days, it was about that. And then I think later on, it was about fixing things that I didn't think were right. And even now, I think I talk a lot about things I do because there's a lot of things that aren't correct. Um, it, I think it's less about pushing people into industry because we can push as many people as we want into industry. But unless we fix the fundamentals, they're not going to stay there. And we're always going to have this leak and it's always going to be 1%. It's always going to be, you know, 14%, including engineers and things like that. It's never going to get any bigger unless we fix the fundamental problems because young people don't want to work how we've necessarily worked in the past. When I go into schools, no kids are, you know, sold when I tell them I do 70-hour weeks. It's not, it's not what they want to do. Katie wants to challenge the construction industry to make changes that aren't just to encourage more women into the industry, but make changes to make the industry more attractive to all young people. I remember I was at an event once and there was a CEO of a, a large tier one construction company talking. And um, I won't name them, they'll be well out of order. <laughs> I stuck up my hand and I said, asking a question that, you know, that when the CEO stands up for a large tier one, they tell you how great they are and all these initiatives they're doing and everything that's brilliant about the company. And I said, how do we encourage the next generation of construction workers into an industry that gets up at five in the morning, but might not get home till six, seven, eight o'clock at night? And then he just baffled me he said uh good question um you know if you when I was working in construction I used to do swimming lessons I think where where, where is this going and uh if you you know so sometimes I'd need to come in a bit later or leave a bit earlier so what you do is you just go and ask the manager if you can come in a bit later <laughs> and leave a bit earlier and if you're not getting any answers there then write an email to your CEO and you tell them that you need to do and I thought Christ what 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 the what did I ask where did this swimming narrative this isn't just an issue of the younger generation being lazy and not wanting to wake up early or work long hours or as that one CEO suggested just a matter of asking your boss to leave a bit earlier as Katie sees it, it's about an industry that's inflexible to change. To me, the answer is fairly simple, and we do it in many other industries. We need to be more flexible in our approach into how people work. There is no reason in my mind to why two people can't share a shift on a crane, why you can't be the one who drops the kids off, picks them up, um, looks after the parent on the evening. The problem I see, you know, especially in plant operating and stuff, is sometimes the hours are very unpredictable. Can we plan better? I know we can definitely plan better. <laughs> I know we can definitely plan better. I know we, we can put a little bit more thought into these things, but we're, as an industry, we're so inflexible to change. We always think the way we do everything is right. We're inflexible to new people. We're inflexible to new tech. We're inflexible to embracing things. It seems to take a really long time. 
things shouldn't be this hard. There's a lot of women who fall out of industry because their alignments change, their priorities change, the way they do things. I've got a list of comments from different women in different trades and in different industries. A woman had to take a demotion because she had a child and she couldn't do this. They made a demote to what she'd been working her whole life towards. Most women won't come back into industry. As a plant operator, how can you take this time out? Have, I mean, I don't have a child, but you know, you've got a child, then how do you step back into like 70 hour weeks? How do you balance that? You can't balance that, but you might have spent 10, 20 years of your life perfecting your trade, perfecting your skill, and you can no longer do what you love. These are the problems I think. I know I can run, I know I go, I get on my soapbox and I, I go for it, but there's a lot of fundamentals we need to fix. And there's a lot of fundamentals about making everyone welcome. Katie says part of this disconnect comes from a divide between those working in site offices and those working out on site. I remember a conversation maybe a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, we do flexible working, you know. Karen in the office goes off and picks her kids up. Ted drops them off in the morning. In the office. In the office. How do you do this on site? How do people deal with managing just life, normal life? Why can't we accept that people have lives? But right now, the incentive for more flexible working, more focus on employee mental health, isn't there for the contractors. I think their incentive is on the project. You can understand, you know, there's a lot of money in these projects. There's a lot of things that need doing. Um, and the, the problem is what tends to be with the workforce is the workforce is a number. The workforce is a number. They're there to get the job done, to do what they're meant to do. One potential solution is by folding mental health into health and safety regulation by imposing financial penalties to companies that do not meet health and safety standards. Non-fatal construction site injuries reduced 33% and fatal injuries reduced 35% between 1987 and 2010. Health and safety is a top priority on construction sites. And if mental health was prioritized in the same way, it could help retain more workers. You know, people's lives, people's mental health should be put under health and safety as far as I'm concerned. We shouldn't be contributing to making it worse. Mm. So it should be taken that seriously because people are dying. People are dying. People are, you know, doing horrible things because of situations, because of how they feel and they can't open up. So maybe we do need to put it on a health and safety level. If people are dying, it is a health and safety level, but maybe we don't view it like that because it doesn't happen on site. Since leaving the crane, Katie has also launched her own podcast, Tales from the Hook, where she interviews others from the industry. Katie continues to work mentoring and encouraging young women into construction, despite the problems that she sees with the industry. And her unique position means she knows better than anyone the benefits a career in construction can bring, but also understands what needs to change. Look, it's, it's, it's a weird one because the opportunity that was afforded to me changed my life, completely changed my life for the better. What it also allowed me to see was see the problems uh, in industry and it, it opened me up to, so I head up a number of women's groups and things like that and it opened me up to things that can happen Okay, my experiences may be uncomfortable, some of them not great, but some of the stuff I've heard 
is horrendous. Some of the stuff I've heard is shocking. Um, I'm on about, you know, sexual assault on site. I'm on about people being scared to come down of cranes because they don't know who's at the bottom of it. I mean, if you think about it on that level, that's like you going to your work car park and being scared to go into your car because you don't know who's hanging around outside. It's real, it's a real double-edged sword for me. Um, and as much as I love what I've done, I loved my apprenticeship. It was the best thing. It, it was honestly the best thing in my life I've ever done. I can see the issues. You shouldn't have to be double hard to go to work. I don't, you shouldn't have to go to work and want an argument and attack the whole site and be gobby. And you should be able to go to work, do your job, go home again. And that, that's what everyone deserves. And it's not always like that. And yeah, a lot of big companies, a lot of tier ones have got it right and it's working well. And But it can all change depending on what site you're on. It can all change depending on the team. It can all change depending on where you are. So yeah, it's a real double-edged sword. And while Katie has seen the situation for women on construction sites improve throughout her career, she still believes there is a long way to go. There's a lot of people in construction who have very old heads on still. And maybe their ideals are being challenged a little bit more, which I think is what we're doing a lot better. And a lot of the tier one, tier two contractors have realized that we have to bring everyone to the table. So a lot of their policies are a lot stronger. Where I think we call full flat is I think there's still a lot of box ticking going on, um, which which I hate. There's there's some companies out there that even, you know, I was at a women's, a women's event. I was at a women's event the other day and there was a, a lady talking to me about a large contractor that she works for and she was saying on paper we look great we do all these things we do but here's what I'm experiencing and this is the problem when what you're saying isn't matching up with what you're doing so yeah we are getting better and we are understanding what we need to do a lot more and there are things being put in place but for me that follow-through is just really important Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and produced by me, Johnny Dowling, and hosted by me and Rian Owen. Editing and series supervision by John Young. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. And our own appointed persons is Rory Harris. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, and on LinkedIn. 